sleep in my dreams Every sense is so unique Just breathe, just breathe, just breathe. Welcome back to the Silo Podcast That's to support your local artists And journalists and business by extension, of course <laughs> You're joined by me, I'm Lottie And Becca, what's up? Doing the most that we can out here in this Rona 2020 situation, and it is what it is. Ugh, yeah. um, but let's let's get into it first, because I do want to know, talk me through when you got the information about the news that really drove you back to Illinois, and why we haven't really been able to work on this latest podcast, because some stuff's been going on. Yeah, so it wasn't really news necessarily. Um, what happened was the Rona got me. Not, not the real Rona. But this, the the side effects of Rona got mm. me mentally. So yeah, I I definitely was like, as is the way of journalists, I was a little overworked. I like mm. wasn't giving myself breaks. I was also kind of in just like a really isolated place. I felt like because can't go out and do things, can't mm. meet up with people, and uh, so I'm from Illinois. I've only been here for like four years, Ooh. which and I'm. I am very socially inept, <laughs> but um, I've had the same friends since I was like 10 years old, basically, mm. my whole life, um, or from high school or junior high. Like everyone that I'm really, really close with, I met in my hometown, mm. and so um, so I needed a mental vacation. I um, was getting real depressed, real anxious, so I went mm. back to Illinois, um, gotcha, stayed gotcha. with my mom for two weeks. I had a week off totally, so just a week to like catch up with people and stay with family, help my mom get her stuff in order, which kind of gave me a break from like worrying about the stuff that was going on in my life. Uh. So yeah, but I am happy to report that I'm finally back in therapy, nice. which it's been a few years since I think high school was the last time that I like seriously talked to a therapist for like a long period of time. Mm. So, um, but yeah, I'm back on the horse and nice. I'm not anxious about it i'm trying not to be anxious about it <laughs> <laughs> i've actually i actually me and my partner have actually talked about going in and do something like couples therapy because we're not married but to kind of go towards that direction it really helps to sit down with a therapist and unpack some of the stuff that you can't necessarily unpack between each other and i feel like that like stigma kind of exists where like oh you're going to couples counseling even though you're not married which is mm. so silly like, it, it says that there's something wrong and this was exactly. the beginning of the downfall of the relationship rather than a new method to really, really try and express how we feel instead of just like burying it, which is what like some and older And it makes you feel like done. we have to be married to be able to like yeah. be a serious couple and like right. seek serious help or something. Right, right. Which is dumb. And, and to kind of, kind of, something that just popped in my head about what it is about that mentality is like, that mentality is probably more prevalent in black and colored people culture, like rather than I actually see in white culture. I rarely, rarely, really met black people who started talking about therapy until like three, four years ago. If I saw them, they were like few and far between, between like some of the people that I was already in contact with. But then again, I'm also in academia, so I'm around a lot of people who kind of are college educated or like that and like minded. So Going to therapy is kind of seen as like a common thing, but for your average Joe, I feel like therapy is kind of seen as like a as a luxury that some people can afford that some can't, which unfortunately it doesn't help that we have a healthcare system that perpetuates that, that doesn't really provide insurance on the level that covers therapy, I feel. And even when it does, America has this nature of really corporatizing a lot of things that really doesn't leave room for people who don't have a lot of money to get help medically. 
regardless of how that looks. I was just gonna say something along those lines. Like, there, I do feel like there's a racial element mm-hmm. there, but there's also, like, a huge socioeconomic thing there. Yes. Because I grew up super poor, and my whole family's thing was, like, rub some dirt on it and buck up, soldier. <laughs> You're not, like... Yeah, for me, at least, it was, like, A, we don't have the money to afford it. And mm. it's, like, a mental thing was even less important than, like, your physical health things. Mm. Your parents were, like, oh, well, we'd rather, like, pay for your medication, whatever it is that you're then needing. actually try to help, like, the mental status and yeah. have the conversations. And that's also just a sign of, like, where the times were at, yeah. too, at that point. Like, this was... 20 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever. On a real level, I do have to look at it as, as from my perspective. So my perspective on it and how I've, I've come to see therapy is like watching it in Nigeria, I'd never really heard of therapy except watching an American movie where I would see somebody laying on a couch <laughs> and investing the all of their like inside information about how they're going through this pain to somebody who's just there getting paid like thousands of dollars writing to sound like mm-hmm. so i in nigeria it's like basically unheard of to me like for couples to go to therapy there's like stuff that the community kind of comes around and does for you in a sense and there's a different sense of community that way so i suppose like while we don't have like medical structures that in that deem therapy especially the kind that like has to do with your mental health very often for people in that situation there's a, there's other things in play but it's um it was cool to at least kind of come to america and understand like the family on a different unit as well and weird i saw that more in white culture than i did in black culture so it's like but my black culture in nigeria also had a strong sense of family in a way but that's because my dad's educated so i feel like education is another marker so and, and in this we've already discussed like two or three different things that really bring the disparity between like conversations that people can have that makes you feel like you either have to be liberal or conservative or if you're white you get it if you're black you're not or that we have to be in this constant conflict because i do see wonderful things from like white culture and i do see like wonderful things from black culture as well and some of that's definitely in the conversation that you can like listen to again and it's yeah like, it is it, and like just to give a little preview or or at least inject my own thoughts about this topic i just think that it's I don't I guess I don't understand like the lack of empathy that mm. our current society has for each other. Like mm. I, I and it's not everyone, but I feel like a lot of the stuff that you see, a lot of the stuff that you're seeing through like not media just as in like journalism and the and like TV, radio, news, whatever, but also through media as in like Facebook, Twitter, all yeah. your social media platforms and like media that you don't think about, podcast, like anything you're consuming yeah. through a screen is media. Yes. Twitter so, being one of the literally largest. Exactly. And so it also just cracks me up when people are like, this is what the media is not showing you. It's like, you realize <laughs> you're, you're the literally media the media and you're showing, showing me. Yeah. <laughs> One of my biggest qualms with that is that I feel like a lot of the people who are saying the media is not covering this are looking to national outlets to mm. get all their news. Like, they see something happen, say you live in, like, I'm just going to pull a random city out of a hat, Cincinnati, mm. and you something happens up the street from you that seems like a huge deal because mm. you live in Cincinnati, but when you're looking at things on a national scale on a country that has, like... It seems millions like of citizens. It's being ignored. Exactly. Or, Not every national outlet is going to have the resources to pick that story up. And and a lot of people are not looking and paying close attention to 
like what's going on in their local newspaper and that it probably is another way that that's perpetuating this exactly. notion that the important things are not being covered exactly right. and if and i will shout it from the mountaintops <laughs> i'm gonna get up on my soapbox here do real it. quick y'all do it but support your local journalists. Yes. Seriously. Yes. Don't complain when you hit a firewall on a <laughs> website when you're trying to read a story. It's literally, it's it costs you less than two cups of coffee a month to subscribe to these places. You can afford Netflix. Exactly. You can afford to... You can support local journalists. Or, or, or tell you what, like, even if you really, really feel like you're, the, the, if you're listening to this and you really feel like traditional media out there is dying and it's not being covered... If you already have Spotify <laughs> for music, let me tell you that the Dallas um, Morning News has a podcast. NPR has several affiliate oh, podcasts. So good. Honestly, like you're not just supporting with a like monetary donation, but even just reading our work, like going mm-hmm. to the website and just checking it out. Even if you've never done it before, you don't know the credibility of it. Just check it out and see mm-hmm. what they're reporting on. And the other thing that I will say is one side of like the issue in our current journalism is that a lot of people don't trust us Mm -hmm. because there's been this like rhetoric pushed out that we can't be trusted Mm -hmm. when like the reality of the situation is we are the residents of the communities that you are the residents as well we're not we are literally like experiencing the same i mean a similar reality obviously from different perspectives but Mm -hmm. we live in these places and the other thing that comes with that is like just think about like living in your own bubble, living in your own perspective. You're not going to see everything around you. Mm. And even if you have 50 reporters in your newsroom, which my newsroom is much smaller than that, <laughs> even they're not going to see everything in a city like Dallas with 2 million, I think, people in mm. it, you know? So part of it is like put your faith in journalists and also communicate with them. Like yes. we are there as a public service. And yeah. that's how every journalist I've ever worked with views the job. Mm-hmm. Like, there are a lot of other jobs where it's just a means to an end, like trying to get that check at the end of the week. But people who are in journalism, for the most part, genuinely want to be there because they care about their communities. Yeah. They want to do good by their communities. They want to get out important information to their communities in like a way that they can understand it, too. And that, and that I wholeheartedly believe that. like Because it makes sense why someone would be in the business to like share information really to share it because they understand the importance of that because they're in that community as well. Like that has to be the natural move for a person. And then maybe if you like have certain skills, you get bribed or swayed or whatever. But the natural progression of a person who's trying to become a journalist and spread that kind of information about the community is to take care of the community. And it's also as easy if you like see a story that you care about and you realize that your local media is not covering it, send Mm. that story to them. Mm. Because odds are if they're not covering it and it's a big deal, they haven't seen it. Hmm. And a lot of the times when you're talking about things about like certain subgroups, like if you're looking at race or like gender identity, uh, sexual orientation, sometimes, I mean, it's, it's a lot of white people in newsrooms. Mm. I mean, still across the country, it's a lot of, um, the same discrimination that you see in literally every job field. And so people have blinders on. And Mm. a lot of the times even reporters pitch the stories but their editors might shut them down because mm. they don't think that that sounds like an interesting story. Yeah. So it's just like when people tell you to like be loud in the streets when you're protesting, be loud with your representatives in Congress, be loud with your local journalists. Yeah. So send a message to a journalist if you feel so inclined and 
for sure. Feel like you want to get your voice heard because and, and like there's nothing wrong with being critical about the news that you're getting from as well. But don't be critical and just like not follow up and not read on what that journalist is saying. Read on what other sources are saying and see if there's a general truth in there to find. Because like you don't need to wholeheartedly agree with whatever someone in the news is posting about it, but there's at least an issue to be like thought about, debated researched and learned upon in some regards yeah so we'll get into all this and more well i won't but lottie and garrett will and do you want to just let everyone know i'm sure most people listening know who garrett is but just give a little hey if you know garrett you know garrett he's like the number one organizer garrett's a close uh not not really a close friend a cool associate that i've kind of hung out with a bunch of times um done shows with a bunch of times just kind of been engaged with in the artist community on some level he puts a lot together and he just like as far as student body and organization and works in uta and for the city of arlington garrett's just kind of been in the eye of that storm for forever so if you know garrett you see him he like walks around he's got a smile he's got an awesome sunny disposition pretty chill guy and uh me and him just decided to catch up one day and have this whole discussion about amongst a host of other things white culture all right, let's get into it. Roller coaster, We go around and around. The Silent Podcast is brought to you by WaterTree USA. WaterTree USA was founded over a year and some change ago by Brandon Cooper, and I wanted to take a moment to tell you about this man and his business. Coop, as he's called, aka the postman, played Ivy League football at Dartmouth for five years, but parlayed that opportunity with the scholarships he got into a bachelor's of business from Dartmouth, and later a master's in business administration from SMU. He's from Grand Prairie, right here in the DFW Metroplex, and his journey led him to put his energy and brilliance towards entrepreneurship and building his own business here, and that business is Water Tree USA. Water Tree USA makes and provides alkaline water for its customers here in DFW, and that's water that is at about 9.5 to 10.5 on the pH scale. Because it's made with minerals that make it more basic, and this helps your blood and body keep a less acidic environment. And that can result in relief from acid reflux, better recovery from strenuous workouts based on how it affects your blood viscosity, a boost to your immune system, and prevention of cell damaging free radicals. Check out watertreeusa.com if it's for you. You and me, we up and down. We go round and around. On the screen, make a sound. Do you ultimately kind of see Corona as doing the shape? The, the development of Arlington. Do you think like we're even going to have a lot of these same businesses come back? Have any has anyone like really lost their footing? Was anyone kind of really struggling maybe before Corona and now they're like you're never going to really see them around again or a lot of them kind of holding on? Well, well. Uh, Truth Vinyl is now empty, um, oh. but I did message Carol and uh, Carol who owns it with Rick and um, they are just putting their stuff in storage because they were planning on moving in October to a new building anyway. In Arlington? So, yeah, in Arlington. It's it's a long front street. So, Whew, Don't give me a heart I know. attack like that, Well, man. I had a heart attack. I drove my bike <laughs> over there on Saturday. I was like, I was just riding around downtown. I was, um, and uh, I, I, I pulled in and I was like, I'm going to say hi to Rick and Carol. And I get there and the building's empty. And I was with my buddy. <laughs> I was like, I just got to sit down a minute. And we just, <laughs> we just sat there parents. and like, I was like, Oh my! I felt like somebody had died, and and I'll be. I actually still want to do some sort of like vigil for the place because like that place will never be the same. Mm. You know that alleyway where we've done treehouse yeah. for three, two, two, three years now is yeah. is completely forever changed. Dude, I know. 
Um, as far as impact from Corona, I think on an actually, sorry about like globally, societally level, I think that, you know, we called it the great pause at the beginning, you know, it was, mm. it was a time, it was absolutely hellish for a lot of people and, and very hectic and catastrophic, but it really let a lot of people have more space back mentally and in their own space. You know, mm. like people were working from home, people who lost their jobs knew that they weren't going to be able to find one, so they're just kind of stuck at home, like biding their time. But mm. I think a lot of people were able to sit back and have some mental space and have just room to sit and, you know, you couldn't go out, so there's nothing to do. Mm. So there's nowhere to be and nothing to do for a lot of people here. And, you know, that's a meditation mantra, nowhere to be yeah. and nothing to do. Yeah. And so... Um, I think it, it was a very mindful time for people. And I think that a lot of people found solace in in the outdoors. Um, and so I think that a lot of people are going to be moving towards a more mindful living. And that maybe that's my idealistic sense, but that is, has been my trend for sure. And I've seen a lot of my friends doing that same thing. I don't know if you've experienced this. I, I feel like that's a possibility. I feel like that's definitely a, a chain of flow that can happen if you're living a certain way. And you were kind of relatively peaceful yeah. with this little bit of anxiety. Yeah. Now, if you're living in an exacerbated like or a violent community, yeah. that can really look different. If you are in a place that's heavily policed, yeah. I think that that has definitely turned some nightmares for some people out there. Because the issues of social justice have definitely yeah. been more like ramped up in intensity and awareness by everybody. Because now we're all kind of stuck at home. We're all kind of anxious about whether jobs are going to come back or whether the community is ever going to be the same. Yeah. And then we turn on this television and we see this guy getting kneeled on yeah. for like eight minutes and 46 seconds. And I've listened to podcasts that kind of said that like stuff like this where we're either forced to quarantine or a massive economic downturn, mm-hmm. those anxieties are literally like ground rocks for massive protests, yeah. which we've definitely seen. Yeah. And it's bedrock for like... Now is the time we can really do overhaul and changes, not incremental ones that are like yeah. symbolic. We need something that like really says this system is not fucking working uh-huh. and we need to pivot. And I think like healthcare is going to like really yeah. see the brunt of it. We got to do something about healthcare because now millions of other people who lost their jobs don't have healthcare. Yeah. And if shit happens to them, it's just like that's like another mortgage for the rest of your life yeah. on death or you just die because you can't afford it and you have to ration insulin, which yeah. is like horrible. It's not only a great pause. It's a great like it's, it's self-reflection. A pa- yeah. Mm-hmm. And like awareness of like how bad it can be. And how bad for some people it's arguably always been. Yes. This just now uh-huh. pulled back the curtains a little bit more. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And it has actually exacerbated poor leadership. And yeah. we have seen so much lack of leadership at so many levels yep. Local, on this. federal, mm-hmm. top And just down. Poor, poor guidance by a lot of people who are making decisions for us. And um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and it's funny, this conversation that we're having right now is... is is something is a microcosm of the conversation that urbanists all over the world are are talking about where a lot of people are saying this has been everybody's gone outside and this has been such a nice time you know but then there's the other side and any like poc urbanist is like fuck you like like, like, like i'm glad you can now like concentrate on the outside and the outdoors and feel yeah. all this monster from like crime is up and shit like dying out here uh-huh for real yeah so i i do come from a place of privilege very often you know and i'm 
I, I'm I'm very glad to have your perspective and understanding. Dude, for sure. That. Like, and, and I want that kind of bedrock and conversation to be able to be had on like a decent platform. Yeah. Like it's it's also now very very easy for people to get polarized about. Yes. It. Like, yes. All right. This is what I came here to yes. talk to you about. To be honest. Tell me. So so this this interview came from that comment on Pat's uh, question on on Facebook. Right? Yes. He asked, "What is white culture to you?" Yes. And. To be honest, whenever I saw that question, I saw the responses there, I got upset. I got mm. very angry because white culture, as I explained, is my entire family. It's, mm. a, it's been my entire way of life, you know. And to see so many people see it through a lens of hate, you know, mm. is or at least focus on one aspect of it and begin to hate it because of that aspect yeah. of it. Exactly. Is is my issue and I think that the reason that we've become so polarized is because there's a lack of dialogue and the only dialogue that's happening is on social media. But have you ever seen somebody on social media say, Oh, you're right. Like a back and forth <laughs> where somebody says I was oh, wrong. Yes. Thanks for opening up my mind frame. I've never seen that. I'm in common threads <laughs> all damn day, way more than I should be, and I've never seen that. It's just people getting pissed at each other and it, hating one another. It's the quips and how can you make this person feel stupid for saying shit that was smart. It, it, I, I think that's gonna... Social media always has a way of pulling out the most extreme of people. Uh-huh. I think Twitter exemplifies that more so than anything oh, I else. Get like, off of there. People, people <laughs> dude, I, I can't... I, I never... I'm thankful I never got Twitter. So I was always kind of on Facebook, but even on Facebook, the same thing kind of happened. Yeah. I, I opened up my wall and I'll see people who are social justice warriors for like everything. And I'm glad that that awareness is like coming more and more out of even some people that I didn't suspect it would come out of. Yeah. But I'm also seeing some people who are like, even more so than before, this is why they're like, the U.S. is fine. There's really no economic yes. injustice. Like if you don't Keep like America it here, great. go home. Yeah. Like, I'm starting to see that more and I'm like how do I have like so much of both on my wall from people that I know? And I've always, always tried to understand and ask questions about where their reasoning comes from. And I think the more and more we've even gotten into Corona and seen the evidence, you always just usually have to take a second and be like, wait for it, wait for it. The article <laughs> will come out that proves this to me. Uh-huh. And like, I've seen it a couple times and the biggest one, like even today, today I just posted it. There was a white dude, Went to a grocery store, didn't want to wear a mask, came out, got his gun, fired at the cashier. And missed. What the fuck? Police came in to get the guy. He fired an AK into the police officer's like car, missed him. They still took him in alive. And I'm like, dude, I don't even mean to sound racial about it, but I know, I just know if that dude was black, yeah. he would have died. He'd be dead. Like, there's for sure. no way. Like, there's just absolutely. And I've seen so many examples of that. And it's hard to see, and, and this is the argument in there, and this is why what you said there on Pat's comment has weight to it. There's a lot of people who are white who have come here, uh-huh. worked hard, and developed their own communities from scratch mm-hmm. to then be at a level where they can afford some of the privileges that society already kind of instills you if you have wealth. Yeah. Not even if you're white, if you have wealth, yeah. right? So I see that and I understand and respect that that's a reality for several white people. A lot of the people who have like commented back and forth and who have more conservative views, they get that. Yeah. But the biggest thing that I got to realize was that is a reality and that's true. Mm -hmm. Now, it does not cancel out someone else's reality 
from people who have tried to do the same for years yeah. and for whatever reason, like society has either told them that they can't yeah. because of a wealth and a class thing or where you're living thing or the fact that you're black or a person of color, yeah. right? That's what I want the balance to reflect yeah. and for us to be able to have a conversation about, well, like, where do these like disparities really stem from? And it's a few things. Mm-hmm. It's really a few things. If you ask me, it's over-policing in communities. Yes. In particular communities where there's likely more crime to happen, it makes sense on a numbers and statistics level. Well, there's more crime over there, so we have to police it more, mm-hmm. right? And it, and it comes from the fact that we don't acknowledge that redlining was a thing. Yes. And it definitely pushed more people of color into a society. And then crack became a thing and drug dealing became a thing. And even if you feel like drugs should be legal or not, yeah. those are not really the violent crimes that are overwhelmingly more important that police should be addressing their like concerns to, right? Yeah. So there's all these contextual existences behind that. Yeah. And that's what I always ask questions to reach out into. Yeah. Like, I'm not even saying that like, and what my response to, to Pat's comment was that like what I see in white culture, it, it, it's, a, it's a culture of corporatism. Like I haven't seen a, a culture of black people really corporatizing and minimizing their workforce to maximize their profit for a slow amount of people. Uh-huh. And that there's something beautiful about corporate being able to do that but on a certain <laughs> level, when it's that widespread, yeah, it, it is harmful. Yeah. And like, we can't look at that and say, well, corporate is good and like capitalism is wonderful. And it's like, well, it's wonderful theoretically yeah. for about 400 years, a certain class of people in your society yeah. did not have that start. Uh-huh. Right? You yeah. have to like realize that those have created systems that are hard a way to break from right now and it's just it's really hard for people to come to accept that and i i, I mean white people with that because have you it, really met someone who's like super defensive about it yeah for sure yeah oh, my man. whole family yeah oh, I, yeah I, i'm i'm the guy who's sitting there playing devil's advocate to all their 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 trumpisms and shit oh. you know that that's been what i've had to do for the past four years Ooh. and and even before that i just felt uncomfortable and now it's like <laughs> actually i just can't feel uncomfortable anymore because you that's how it. we got trump and yeah so thank you thank you for saying that mm-hmm. thank you for saying the fact that we didn't have this discussion earlier and yeah. on a real level yeah. not on a i'm trying to beat you with my argument but on a real level that's why i think we really really got something like trump in yeah. office yeah and i think there's just there's just hate on both sides but predominantly on the white side because there's so many people above a certain threshold whether that's age whether that's comfort comfort something like that exactly but those people are not able to acknowledge their privilege and that is what conversation i think needs to be opened up and had more honestly because the media is not having this honestly Mm. i always sound like a a a maga or a QAnon person talking about this but our (laughs) our media does not reflect people's views and it absolutely polarizes people and it's like you know, um, hippies create police and police create hippies, you know, it's, it, whenever things are that polarized, <laughs> yeah. it's, it, 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 it creates the polar opposite. And the farther that you go, the farther the other side will go and, and hate breeds hate. And it becomes it, an other thing. Mm-hmm. Any, exactly. any little category in that box of that view uh-huh. makes you an other person. Yes. And thus, I cannot jive with you. We yes. can't even probably vote for the same person. We can't even talk. You are an object in my mind. As right. Other, you know, right. And that is that is a lack of understanding of another. This is the biggest thing, and it's probably another part of the fork that really, really causes these disparities besides, like, over-policing. I didn't know that there is now a consolidation and corporatization of local news. 
on yeah. a newspaper <laughs> yes. level. Yeah, and Fox and CBS. On, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like also there's this company, there's a couple of companies just buying up local newspaper. Like the, wow. the, the Los Angeles Times, the Miami Herald, all these ones that used to release newspapers back in the day, uh-huh. they're literally all being consolidated by corporate, like some large corporate company that just buys them out because no one's buying newspapers. So a lot of, like, I think I, I saw in one of the programs that uh, media companies started earning $2 billion, between 2004 and 2014, they, started, they earned $2 billion in online profit sales. Wow. But they also lost $13 billion in like hardware sales. Like, and they're still buying. No one's buying papers anymore. Yeah. Whatsoever. So they took a huge loss in what their main hand-to-hand in trade was. Mm-hmm. But now they have to start doing this stuff online. And then yeah. when a corporate company takes over and says, well, we're going to save your business from going under. Mm-hmm. But... You gotta fire like fifty journalists. Yeah, and, and you've got to preach our message too, because that's what gets clicked. These are the must things, and dude, right? And it, the the integrity of being a journalist is now being like really under fire because really? you have a responsibility to educate the local people around you mm-hmm. what's happening, especially in local and state federal elections and governments and all that stuff, and educate whenever corruption is really really happening. Yeah, but that's now being seen as like, well, that's not really interesting. Yeah, we kind of want more clickbait. How about these 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 videos with the cats in there? Can yeah, you somehow put. Why can't we talk about these Q furry cats and corruption at the same time? So the corporatization of local news is another big sweep that I think is happening. Yeah. That a lot of people aren't paying attention to. The bigger ones like CNN, they'll survive. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the other ones that were doing really great reporting for some communities that you wouldn't otherwise really pay attention to. Yeah. Like the ones that actually investigated Epstein. Yeah. That one's probably like going by the wayside. Uh-huh. And if no one's reporting that, no one's reporting about a whole bunch of people abusing power in Palm uh-huh. Beach, Florida, that's how you get billionaires who get away with like sex trafficking shit for years. You're right. Right? Yeah. And the undercurrent of this all that I learned at my last job is so I worked with uh, publishers like BBC, mm. like all the big name publishers who could who had a lot of people coming to their website i was working with them to put my ads on their website essentially and so our money was going to them Mm. but the thing about it is that they're all struggling because of google and facebook google and facebook have taken all of the news that's being that would be shared upon among like independent channels basically like a Mm. newspaper to your door or like you go to that site but now you go to facebook and you see the headline only from that site Uh. but facebook doesn't want you leaving facebook so they they encourage you to click away as little as possible to other sites you know so it's aggregating your attention for news and putting it all on facebook all on google and not not encouraging you at all to, to, to find other sources exactly to, to corroborate the news whether it's either true or not generally if i'm going to find something important to reach over npr is still strong yeah i'm so so super thankful that npr still does this we have I a listen local to the podcast yeah mm-hmm. and then I um it. i feel like maybe without knowledge of it podcasts are kind of becoming yeah what Local newspapers used to be. Yeah, I it's totally very see that. accessible anywhere very that you listen. Accessible, yeah. Right, and then there's actual people who are experts and journalists doing important stuff on podcasts uh-huh. and giving you information that's really important. It's kind of wild, but yeah, let's wrap it up so that Becca doesn't sure. kill me. Oh long. yeah, for real. <laughs> but yeah, thanks, Lottie. I appreciate words, you having me, man. Words from the G man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
As always, thank y'all so much for tuning in to the Silo Podcast. Lottie is the host and creative director. This episode was produced and edited by me, Becca Moore. If you want to lend your voice to a future episode, hit us up. We're on Instagram at Sila underscore media. That's S-Y-L-A underscore media. Or on Twitter at S-Y-L-A-T-X. That's Sila Texas. Um, so give us a follow and tell your friends. And don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. One Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, anywhere else you can find a podcast, you can find this episode. The music you heard throughout the show was Mr. Freeze by Miles Kennedy and Laloon, Starways by Kifo Doorways and Dolly Star, and Breathe by Ten. Be sure to check them out and, of course, support your local artists. Thanks again for listening. Take care. Stay safe. Love y'all.